are live for First Strike Podcast. This is KYT. No longer need to introduce our sponsor, KTSGames.com, because they are, we're now on their channel, now moving from the Man of the Pride channel, uh, the now defunct Man of the Pride.com YouTube channel to now the Face-to-Face Games YouTube channel, which is where you're watching us now. Um, super excited episode today because we've got our most frequent guests, uh, except Janine has needed to catch up now that like we kept having Edgar Magal Hayes on week after week because he's been doing well. But Shaheen bested him this past weekend with an excellent finish, finishing 22nd. His whole team got 12K USD. That's a lot of money. Um, how's it going, my man, Shaheen Sarai? It's going all right. I mean, we were pretty happy with the finish. Um... We were it's a little bit bittersweet because we were eight and two with four rounds left, and uh, we won three to that point to to miss really you know an opportunity in to top four. And um, but you know we we ran hot day one and day two was going pretty well. And um, you know I got it, it kind of came down to me uh, losing some matchups that I wasn't prepared for. I played against the band Nexus deck twice, um, and you know. Did not sideboard well, didn't really know the deck, and kind of lost two matches I could have won, I think. And uh, then I got trounced by Blue White uh, uh, Monument. So um, it was, you know, it, it was a good tournament. We had a blast. Uh, Ely was on KCI. He went X2. <laughs> so he would have probably won the Pro Tour, but it was solo. He, uh, the deck was absurd and. You know, it's aptly that that was the aptly named podcast title because, you know, it just he um, I look to the I look at my his match for a moment and he has two guttural responses. And um, I look back in, a, you know, maybe like minute, 30 seconds later, and he resolved one of his KCIs. He drew off a couple cantrips through double guttural against a. An opponent who had cryptic dispel rest in peace in play who lost that game. So I mean, the deck is just super resilient, and um, he was just wrecking people all day, both days, and it was fun to watch. Um, and then Noah played Death Shadow in the Legacy seat. He didn't do so hot. Um, you know, uh, could have been the deck, could have been the matchups. Not sure, but you know, twenty second in Pro Tour is good and. I played zero matches before the Pro Tour with Esper, so I'm pretty happy with how I did. <laughs> um, well, let's go straight from the beginning. How, how did this team get put together? I, I messaged you about last week coming on the show. Did, like, didn't realize that even with the kid, you were ma- you managed to, to get on the tour, man. Like, tell me all about how did this team get together? Uh, well, we teamed together a bunch for Grand Prix. We teamed together twice and went. Uh, we got six and 8th or something like that, maybe ninth, at uh, two Grand Prix. And, um, you know, we we basically were clicking in these tournaments, and it was a pretty big no-brainer to um, team for the Pro Tour. We're all on Card Hoarder. That was our final tournament as with Card Hoarder. Um, we are still – there's still going to be some announcement for us in a week or two. We're finalizing our roster. I'm going to be starting a new team. New, new little Kickstarter team that I always end up doing at, at every other year or so, you know. If I I try to find who's still interested in working together, and we've had a few new people. we got a new sponsor, so I'll be dropping that 
once we got our full uh, 10-man roster, we're at like six or seven people right now. Um, but yeah, that's how we were on the team. Is Ely's the new BBD for me, you know, where we team for everything. Now Ely teams with me for everything. And, uh, you know, BBD's too big game for me these days. So, you know, kind of got dumped. That works. <laughs> that works in the pro world. <laughs> but after before that, that's why you were lingering. You were a lingering soul, right? Was I was see, and I mean that was fun too. Like I, I like I like making teams, and I like um, finding people that um, you know wouldn't be the first choice for a lot of people. And we ended up doing super well. I mean, obviously, like Donald Smith and Top Eight Pro Tour with on lingering souls and Fennell, who uh, doesn't get on teams too too quickly. Also, Top Eight Pro Tour. Yeah, we had my boy Travis, you know, that didn't, that didn't work out too well for him. But, uh, you know, everybody else on the team was, you know, just people that were just kind of left behind either uh, goal status or uh, we had a platinum all at the end of that season. So we were pretty much successful. Um, but, yeah, so the, the, the older folks of Card Hoarder will be moving on together and we will be uh, on a new team together this season coming up. So it'll be fun. Oh, so so we don't know what the sponsor is. It might be you're, you're negotiating. Is that is that what I'm getting? We have one local game store that's a, a guaranteed sponsor. It's a, a Moonbase. It's the name of the store. It's uh, near. It's like Midwest near uh, Jacob Ball and Devin Kepke, two of our players. We also cardholders going to stick around as a, a partial sponsor, giving us a, a little hookup. Uh, and we maybe had or a discussion with another sponsor in my area. So we're trying to get, I mean, we're, we're basically any, anyone out there that's, hey, good little plug-in piece, appreciate it. Anybody who, uh, you know, wants to uh, get their name out there with a, uh, a collection of really, um, you know, strong Magic players and good ambassadors of the game, send me a message, let me know. All right, I like that, I like that. Very, very strong ambassador and uh, master goldfisher also. Zero yeah. testing, only needs to test with himself. Uh, so you let us know how, how the team sort of put together. How did you decide on the decks? And, and like I was, of course, because you were on the show one year and four months ago talking about banning KCI, I'm like, oh, come on, Shaheen, play, play like uh, modern. But I also knew that you're, you're such a versatile player that you know, you're not afraid to, to play legacy. You're also not afraid to play standard. So, so I knew there was a good chance you weren't playing modern. Yeah, Ely Top 8, we both played uh, KCI a month ago at a Grand Prix, two months ago. Uh, and he Top 8 the Grand Prix. I lost my last round to Siggy. I would have got ninth. We both have the same record the entire tournament. Um, so he's he's just as or better uh, pilot with the deck as I am. Um, and then Noah, of course, is known for legacy. I think the banning of Death Rush Realm really hurt Noah because he was just crushing people with um, Grix's Delver and his other Death Rush decks. Um, but like that leaves standard for me and I, I, you know, have always performed pretty well in standard and I play tested Grixis. I didn't try, I didn't jump to Esper for no reason. I played tested Grixis for two months, Grixis control. I played Nicol Bolas and really tried to work it in when that came out a month before the pro tour and I was doing okay. And then in three leagues in a row, I just got destroyed and I was like, okay, I had three days before the tournament. I need a deck. Uh, Oliver too sent me his list for Esper. Um, I changed uh, a bunch of cards in it and made it my own and uh, ended up getting paired against him at the Pro Tour, which is funny. Uh, of course, I crushed him. And then I got paired against Shahar Shenhar, who was playing Esper 
same list as Oliver and I crushed him too. So that was good. I mean, you know, these young bloods trying to trying to beat me in the Espermere, you know, it's not going to happen, brother. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so what do you think uh, about Esper moving forward uh, for people who have local tournaments uh, in, in standard? I think the deck's fantastic. I, I definitely was not prepared for Bant, uh, Nexus, and um, my sideboard was very skewed to the control mirror, and they're not the same deck. Um, I got, like, I, against Dave Williams, I lost. I bored out all my removal, and he played Brawl on two, and it was just a nightmare to deal with. And then I played against uh, Li Shi Chan, who didn't have Brawl, but he had Carnage Tyrant. So there are a lot of different variants. He, he plays four Carnage Tyrant in the sideboard. So, I, I mean, I think Esper was fine against the decks, but game one, you're about 30% tops with handful, handfuls of removal spells when their entire deck is so lean and some of their fog cycle and they have all these main deck hate cards that are like uh, too many searches, the time walk itself and the plants walkers. So you really need to have a fine-tuned sideboard to beat the matchup. Um, I had one Eldest Reborn in my deck when I played against Li Shi Chen. I should have won that game. Um, where I he tapped out for Carnage Tyrant and I was in dominant position to beat him with uh, Eldest Reborn, uh, making him sacrifice and then being able to just reanimate it. Um, long story short, uh, turn 11, I saw the same five lands out, so I died. But the, the card itself is a card that's really strong against Band Nexus. You can easily set it up where you can take out their Planeswalker or Cyborg Creature and then the card alone produces enough advantage for you to really take uh, take control of the game. So, like I said, you need a you need a few sideboard slots dedicated to it. Um, and uh, I don't think uh, I don't think it's an impossible matchup. I do think you're going to need a lot more negate effects than people have been playing. Um, I see a lot of people playing two Jace's defeat, one negate. I think you're going to need nearly a full clip of those cards to do that deck. Is it the breakout deck of the tournament, the, all these uh, Nexus of Faith decks? Yeah, I, I think the card, I mean, the card was powerful. Uh, I, when I wrote my article for preview cards, when the set first came out, I mentioned that that card is, is going gonna, is gonna to be pretty good. I mean, I didn't know the, the shell for it. I, have, I didn't even want to test it. It's not really my style of card. Um, and I really was, I mean, I'm going to play Torrential Gearhawk until, you know, it rotates in a few months. Um, because no matter what these new Flash in the Pan cards are, I think on your show I've mentioned it a few times, Gear Hulk, Instant Speed, like Glimmer of Genius, and Disallows, and all these cards are on a different power level than a lot of standard. And uh, when your decks click with control, you really feel like you're on just a different playing field as everyone else. And that's what happened with me day one when I played against Black Red. I was uh, 4 and 1 against Black Red, destroyed Green a bunch of times, the Mirror. Um, it was really these goofy decks that derailed me. I finished with five losses in an unfinished match, uh, which would have been a loss, I think. But it was against, you know, these decks I haven't prepared for. Um, so if you're playing local event and you feel like Black Red's going to be a big deck, uh, that matchup is just wonderful for Esper. Um, I have one, uh, I can't remember the name of the card. What's the one black instant exile colorless creature gain life to its power? That goofy card out of M19? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I can Google it real quick. I have no clue what the name I is. I can't play it off at this point. Um, that card has been so good. Uh, Fennel came up to me. I didn't play at the Pro Tour, but Fennel came up to me. He's like, I want you to solve an issue uh, 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 debate for me. He said, 
And I was getting jokes saying this card is decent in the sideboard, and everyone says it's unplayable. And I'm like, it doesn't sound unplayable. So I tried it online. He he was right. That card, if if they turn to scrap heap and you cast that card, like I don't know what the percentage is after you that for you winning, but it's gross. You just go to twenty three in exile. It just feels so good. So, um, you know, you just got to get creative with your sideboarding and. Um, you know, it's. I think that Esper is great as long as half the field is not banned Nexus. I think it'll be fine. Andy, uh, just prior to the start of the show, you had mentioned you know, Nexus is real hype. In fact, I've seen people complain in the, some of the Facebook groups I'm in about the availability of it, how crazy price it is. Um, <laughs> you know, your quick thoughts. Do you think it was uh, the breakout deck of the tournament? Uh, yeah, it was. It's like obviously the deck that went from not good to very playable and like one of the best decks for the for the time being. I'm interested to see how the format adjusts to it. I think uh, Brad Nelson tweeted tweeted a card, uh, "Insult to Injury," uh, how you could play that against the deck. And so I, I'm playing the deck right now in a league, not this moment, but uh, earlier. And um, every turn of the game, I'm like, if they have this card, I'm dead. If they have this card, I'm dead. If they have this card, I'm dead. So like. If people start playing that kind of stuff and also like Lost Legacy, like there are cards that hose it, so people really want to beat it because it's a not a fun deck to lose to. So those are the kind of decks that people tend to over sideboard for. I think uh, it could get taken down. Still has a lot of Teferi's and Planeswalkers though. <laughs> are you are you a fan of the Esper Styles deck? Have you have you seen Shaheen's list? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I I really like. Uh, what Shaheen says is very true about control. Like when the when the deck's clicking, it beats everything. Like if if you interact a couple times, like twice, and then play Teferi by turn five, you almost always win, no matter what deck you're playing. And and Esper tends to do that a little better than Blue White does, because Blue White has like only a few ways to interact in the first couple turns. So that's just a a big winning winning play is interact a couple times Teferi, and then you should win almost all those games. Hmm. All right. So definitely, definitely a deck to play. Uh, everyone seems to be brown brushing. So, so let's update your prediction. Is something getting banned uh, from KCI? <laughs> if they're not stupid, yes. <laughs> like, come on. Everyone, like, if you touch this deck, if you really put the reps in with this deck and you still think it's fine for the format, um, you know, maybe I, I guess we'll just be there'll be a small subset of the community that'll just reap the rewards for it for until the end of days. I mean, I don't know how many Matt Nass GP wins it's gonna take for for you know it, like well after watching Ely play and just destroy he won a, a turn against two surgical extractions in the same turn, still won that match in game. It, it's just like there are hate cards for it, kinda like how uh, he was discussing how there are hate cards for Band Nexus and that will be affected. There are tons of hate cards for KCI, but it just seems to still win. Uh, and it doesn't hurt that KCI is always up a game. Like, typically, KCI is going to win game one against, you know, 90% of the decks. And if you're, in a, if you're in a situation like that, it's really tough to take down in a, a deck games two and three in modern um, that has such potent uh, uh, play out ability. Um, they got to ban something. I, I just uh, the format um, modern is a is a wild format where there's a lot of different decks. You know your choice of an, whatever aggro combo deck you want to play or bad control deck. 
if they want to keep it popular and popping like that, they're going to have to uh, do something about this deck. Yeah, they even had like I was watching the stream. Ben Stark was piling it for CFB, and he just looked like he had all the power in his deck to to beat anyone. Um, I, I think the commentator was was Simon Gertson. I think it was him. He mentioned how he now had uh, apologies if I got the voice wrong, but he had mentioned how to him Asian Stirrings has moved up as like a top five card in the format for him, and he could see that card being bad. What, what are your thoughts on that particular? being bad in modern or, or do you see another one uh taking the axe i mean I, it's not the best card in the deck and the deck can still operate without it <clears throat> it'll be much worse it won't be green based i don't know what the base would be it could be blue based but like glint talk or the bird thing i forgot the name of it and you can play there's like a goofy version with like the blue blue x like uh when it put a artifact in play i, I and people try other versions of blue um and the deck still functioned, but it would lose a lot of its potency. If you wanted to kill the deck, Mox Opal would kill the deck. Uh, it would also kill a lot of people's faith in uh, Wizards and in the format in general because it's such a high-dollar card. Uh, it would completely massacre the value of that card. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't see them doing it. I mean, I, don't, I know they don't make decisions based on financial reasons when it comes to bannings, but I think they do, behind closed doors, really discuss you know what kind of like reverberation would be there if we, you know, nix fifty percent of the value of the deck with uh, one band. So I, I think stirrings would do enough. Um, make a lot of unhappy Tron players out there as well. Uh, I, I know that uh, you know it's it's definitely. I don't know why it was so low for him on the power level at the beginning because ancient stirrings is easily the best cantrip that's been out for a long time, and. Uh, I think that'd be a good band uh, to move moving forward. I I think uh, I mean I hope they don't ban anything. I own the deck personally. I have vested interest in keeping keeping the deck intact, but I, I just don't see them moving forward. I think I mentioned on the episode last year. It's also just a miserable deck to play against. Um, it's a bad. It's bad for coverage. It's bad for Magic Online. It's bad for. Uh, wide general play. It's just bad for everybody. So I just, it's not, it's, it abuses the rules of magic when you're overpaying for a chromatic star by sacrificing two things at once. Um, it's just, it's counterintuitive to what people, uh, you know, know about, you know, how the rules work, how the stack works and paying costs work. And it's just a, you know, it's, it's kind of one of the last survivors of a deck like that. I guess most people weren't, weren't, Still weren't going to play it as. Uh, did you see the the meta game breakdown for for modern? It was like humans uh, with twenty seven copies, blue white control. I mean, I think that's that's in your wheelhouse at eighteen with eighteen copies, and, and right under that was Iron Ironworks combo at seventeen. Um, most people still on that five color humans. Yeah, that's that's a lot of copies of the deck. I can't believe there that many. I mean. <laughs> It's not an easy deck to play, and it's not an easy deck to, to pick up in a tournament where you know you have a giant target on your back. Like, everybody knew, everybody in the room knew he had to beat KCI for this tournament. Nassif had three rest in peace and three Sony Silence uh, to beat the deck, and that's a lot of enchantment hate. And if you watch his streams, he doesn't even play close to that many uh, hate enchantment cards. You know, it's because to walk into a tournament and then knowing that this is public enemy number one and still to play the deck, is a, a testament on how good the deck is. Um, and 
you know, Ben Stark's deck, he butchered his version. <laughs> like, that's why he struggled. I think that's why he struggled later in the day. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not, it's, even if, even if you add some silly blue sideboard cards and kind of change the sideboard around, the deck still is a shell, um, is leaps and bounds more powerful than the other decks in modern. <laughs> um, is there a, do you have a secret blue-white version, like, hiding somewhere? Blue-white control? Yeah, that yeah. you would play? Yeah, I, I, I actually wrote last article about, uh, I think, I didn't put my list out there, but I wrote about, I think that blue-white is the best uh, control deck right now, uh, Miracles, and um, I, I really like Terminus and Modern, and I think the two, the double top eight in the, in the GPA in Europe, uh, kind of this uh, solidified that as like this, the direction to go for modern control. Um, there's a Jessica control deck in the top eight also, but I think it was Eduardo, the guy, who, you know, he's just a, a absurdly good player. I don't think, I think it's like, you know, if Wafo top eights with his, you know, 17 think twice control deck, it's not because the deck's good. It's because he's good. Um, and I think that's what Eduardo's, uh, success there was. But I think the two blue white control players who were relatively amateur players compared to the rest of the field of uh, successful players there, I think that that shows you that deck is great. So I, I'm playing, um, it's very similar. It's a couple searches, some terminuses, you know, a supreme verdict in the main to kind of switch it up against humans so you have both options. Um, and, you know, the rest of the, the deck is pretty similar to everyone else's. You got a oust here, a condemn here, paths, Cryptics, Logic Not Manly. So uh, nothing nothing too crazy for my version. It's pretty similar to what Top A of the Grand Prix just um you know uh the sideboard always has for me two rest in peace, two Sony Silence minimum, um, regardless of what everyone else do, is doing. And I, I at this point in in the metagame, I probably play a third rest in peace, just like uh Nasif did. Uh, Andy, do you have any deck-specific format-specific questions uh, for Sheen? Um, just, I'm not sure. Do you, so, uh, do you think that uh, Control can fix the the Fog matchup with just slamming a bunch of negates in it? Like, negates and defeats? I don't know about fix. It's tough. I think the deck is there's so many negate and defeat targets. Um, I think that you, I think that's it's not going to fix it, but I think you're favored after board. I think you, you have to be uh, because at the end of the day, the Nexus deck is playing five, seven mana, five to seven mana, or four to seven mana sorcery speed. Um, well, not sorcery, but expensive, you know, counterable things that you can you can battle with two mana. So um, I think logistically is your best shot. I think with four gear hulk, bunch of defeats, bunch of negates, I think you're fine. If you're playing Esper, you can also play Lost Legacy, but like you said, I, I'm just, I, it is really reaching deep to try to really beat the deck. And I, I, I hate Lost Legacy as a, as a card. I wouldn't bring it against any other deck. Um, so I, I kind of, I would rather just have cards I can splash, hate, you know, control mirrors and, uh, um, what's the other deck? Uh, this you know, monument deck, please. Not monument, the seven mana artifact deck, too. So things that you can actually... Yeah. Gift deck. So things you can bring in against multiple matches would be better. Um, so. I think uh, I think the Eldest Reborn might be like 
the secret like best way to deal with the deck in black. Just it deals with the Carnage Tyrant plan, which is a tough plan for you. And also like when they tap out for Teferi, most of the time it's hard for them to also have a counterspell. Like if you would have to have them have Teferi and a counterspell, you not have a counterspell and get your Eldritch Reborn countered. I think that's not gonna come up that often. So right. I think Eldritch Reborn is absolutely terrifying. I had someone play it against me and if I did not have a negate, the game would be over on the spot. Right, and it's a good card against the other decks, too. Like, the Mirror is really good against. Grix's mid-range is really good against. Um, and also, you can get them to tap out pretty easily. If they Usually, they wait later in the game, and you go, they play Teferi with two open, you're like, you know, Gear Hulk. They're like, defeat your Gear Hulk, draw a card, untap two lands. You're like, Eldest are born. They're like, negate, you negate through negate. And then you're left with just this really powerful... Uh, threat in the game where they must answer it immediately. They're pretty screwed. So, um, yeah, I think it's. I think it's good. It might be good enough. I play one on the board. I probably end up at the two. Yeah, Doomfall. Doomfall also does a lot of work on both ends. So I think those two cards are pretty good catch-alls in a bunch of matchups. Yeah, I had a second. I had a Doomfall. I had a split Doomfall and Elshaborn. I don't know if I would do it now. This after playing Elshaborn, it was just so good. <laughs> What what's your so she overall? What did you think of of the team format? Or do you think they're going to do it again? And uh, you think actually like I, I talked about twelve uh, how the team won twelve thousand dollars and went in chat went whoa twelve thousand dollars. They don't really associate magic number with a big cash number. Of course, this was three players. When you divide by three, it's four k each. Uh, if you divide it equally, uh, but well, what did you think? Are, are they going to do it? Are they going to run it back? Should they? Some people thought like the how the RPTQs uh, system, how that uh, stuff happened, where, where RPTQs were capped. So they thought it, they might not run it back for logistical reasons because it was tough. Some people had to fly really far because they didn't expect the RPTQs to be capped. But, but for you, I don't think you had to deal with any of that stuff. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Luckily, I, I uh, was gold coming into this event. Uh, which which made it a lot easier and uh, the the finish. I, I think that for the players, it was one of the best events I've ever played in. I mean, it's twelve thousand bucks, four thousand each for twenty second place is absurd. I mean, that's just twenty second place out of one hundred seventy teams or whatever is is not hard to achieve in my opinion. And the amount of pay they did to it is ridiculous. They gave away you know almost a million dollars in this tournament. So I think that the pay here makes it for the players they should really do it again but for them it was a pretty pricey tournament um i don't know if they're willing to dish out that kind of dough um on a regular basis so you know if they do they this tournament was insanely popular amongst viewers it was insanely popular popular for competitors it was uh the coverage folk loved it uh i mean it was just popular across the board beside the rptq fiasco but, you know, they saw this now, and now they can fix it. So they can address this kind of situation. They maybe offer Wizards-sponsored RPTQs at different different sites or pay uh, local game stores additional monies to, you know, open up additional sites. You know, there's ways around this. Um, but as far as the tournament goes, it's it's great. I mean, it was, I had a blast. They gave out a foil set of a random set from Origins up to every player in the tournament. Uh, I got a full set of Origins. That was cool. So everybody, yeah. yeah, everyone's back. I have one foil set of a uh, random set from Origins up. So, um, you know, wow. it's so many cool little perks here 
for this tournament. And some players, like, I got to talk to some players at the tournament. You know, I like to do my little socializing, and they're like, "This is my first pro tour, and this is the best pro tour. I cannot believe this is my first pro tour." And they're just having the time of their lives. Where, um, you know, it, they had a playmat that's now selling for three hundred dollars, and you bought the playmat. So, you know, it, it, they did a great job with this. It was very nostalgic. Um, the team tournament itself is super fun. Uh, there's a certain level of camaraderie that it brings to Magic that never really exists in single um, individual tournaments. So, you know, it's and it's not like the the people that complain about team tournaments, they have they have real concerns about not being able to find teammates, et cetera, and depending on people, but they're definitely in the minority if you if you look at how Star City's tournament uh, results are, how many people show up for those and how many people clamoring to get into this pro tour it's definitely a a you know 15 to 1 ratio on people that are pro team events and people that are not so i think it's great as the previous this will last question uh, as a previous limited master on scg when they had all these limited opens uh what, what do you think of the suggestions of well this has been talked about but again this resurfaces when we see the viewer numbers of cutting limited completely from the pro tour please god blow it up <laughs> get rid of it god it you know i'm glad you brought that up and i swear this was not a stage question for people that are watching i am heinous at limited now i mean i am i dread the draft i used to pride myself like you said i used to feel like i was one of the best drafters in the world uh because at pro tours i was almost at a 70 percent win rate in limited like it was absurd and i had five sg wins in limited and i was just so i dedicated my life to mastering limited but because it's such a small part of the pro tour now, uh, and I have a, I'm old and I got a job and family and all this, I have, I don't have time to draft nonstop, and I have to pick and choose what am I going to spend my time on. And there are six rounds every five months or four months I have to prepare for. I'm not going to spend time doing that. There's one limited GP that I go to per six months or something, and they cut those down too. So I think limited is important for the game. I think they can keep it in team limited and GPs and all that, but I would love for them to eradicate it from the pro tour so we can really focus on one format that we are preparing for and mastering and not have to have this really random, you're playing this modern pro tour with these powerful decks. And then you're like, all right, now it's time to play M19 limited. You know, it just doesn't, it just didn't, doesn't fit. And uh, people hate watching it and no one reads any articles that are limited based. I, the viewership on, uh, Draft articles is abysmal. I don't even request it from Cedric to write about limited because it's just not, you know, people just don't want to read it. It's unpopular. <laughs> Andy, do you share, share the same sentiments? Uh, I'm torn because, like, so as a player, when you're playing in the Pro Tour, limited for, for me is one of my favorite parts. Like, high level limited magic is just incredible. It's like some of the most fun I could have playing magic. But uh, I think it's better to cater to the viewers and to what's going to sell you the most product and the more viewers gives you the more advertisement and people like to watch constructed more. And I've always said it's because of one reason, because when you're playing constructed, you can root for a player or you can root for your deck. But when you're watching limited, you can only really root for the players. You can like be happy about like their draft archetype being weird or cool. Like some of the Sam black drafts I've seen. But at the end of the day, it doesn't happen as nearly as often as, as the narratives that are played out in uh, Constructed Magic. It's just more entertaining and easier from a coverage standpoint. 
Yeah, and let me let me add to that. Limited is awesome. It's super fun. It's probably more fun than constructed is if you if you really gauge people's like enjoyment level. Um, but as a third thing to add, also when people watch it, they can't run and go buy that limited deck. Right? When they watch constructed, they want to go buy this constructed deck. It, it fuels third party websites. It fuels uh, digital magic. The Pro Tour fuels local game stores selling out of their cards. There's such a huge, like, invisible hand reach to the Pro Tours and the best of the best showcasing what decks to play um, to the sale of Magic cards that it's it's time to, you know, really just make the Pro Tour one format. And, you know, every other game and sport and everything, eSport, is, is like that, too. It doesn't really shift from these wild... Uh, Formats that have such different different you know styles and all that, and it takes forever logistically to set up for the limited portion. And you know, I just think that um, it's all about, like I said, number one is viewership. And you know, it, although drafting is fun and probably the most enjoyable part of competitive Magic, I think there's a place for it at Grand Prix um, still. So it won't be extinct, but it probably should get removed from the post one. Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll let we'll let you go, Shaheen. Anything you want to plug besides to go to StarCityGames.com to check all your sweet, sweet ass articles. Appreciate it, man. Yep. Friday article comes out, uh, and I'll be writing about Esper Control, and you know, art, number article number ten thousand on Esper Control, probably so. <laughs> ten thousand anniversary. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Uh, well, we're, we're actually one last question. We're less than a month. Away from the NFL season, give me your, your 49ers prediction. How will they do this this season? Talking about Jimmy G? Mm, <laughs> there's a lot of hype, which typically makes me nervous. Because uh, when Jim Harbaugh came in, there wasn't as much hype. Uh, and he really turned the team around. So I'm, I'm going to give a, a cautious 8-8 eight and eight final record is my prediction. Better. It's gonna be and it's gonna be enjoyable to watch the games. I'm actually gonna watch them from beginning to end. <laughs> All right, I'll be I'll be. Yeah, they're also my favorite team, so I'll be sure to tweet about them or chat with you about them. Uh, thank you so much for your time, man. Yeah, man. get you back again when you win over ten G's collectively as a team. <laughs> See you next time, dude. Thanks, All brother. All righty, that was Shaheen Sirani, my man, who's been on on the A team. A team. And the show the most, but of course Edgar has been catching up to him. And and yeah, I think you brought up a good point because I was trying to trying to think to myself, and, and we we have mentioned this on the show. I think to myself, why are, are people drafting limited uh, populate like Kenji Numatanami d- doesn't have that issue. Like he, he used to when I was following stream dominates uh, the stream totals, but uh, like you said, like him, he's someone that you know. You know all his like gimmick lines. It's funny. Uh, you know what to expect, and it's someone that you want to root for versus Adapoto. You're like saying that you know you you're, you don't know who that guy is. It's like a random Canadian Japanese guy or whatever, and you're just like you can only relate to maybe the deck that they're playing. That does that make sense? Yeah, all the time I'll be watching a match with like the deck I really like in Standard or Modern, and I really want them to win. And like I'm not. And I could see casual, more casual players even gravitating to more like feeling of uh, interest in seeing their deck win. And me as a very competitive player, I want to see the decks I choose choose to win as well because it makes me feel smarter. 
And now we're bringing in my good friend once again, coming back to the show. Mr. Doesn't like to mulligan. <laughs> and limited specialist, MTG Arena boss, Twitch streamer, man of multiple talents, Mr. Travis Sowers. How's it going, Semulin? Doing good, boss. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, so the last topic I know you've been, you've been peeking in was, I wonder if you care about this. If people yeah, decide care about this. to can limited your, your bread and butter away from the pro tour, is that, you know, do you care? If, if viewers and money for Wizards and YC is what's important? I care. I do also have to say that Shaheen Sarani is one of the coolest dudes in Magic. Because our last names are sort of close and we live in the same area, I have ended up registering a lot of decks next to this guy. And he is so nice, like unbelievably nice. He is such a cool dude. Um, But yeah, I I care. I think that Limited should should have a place in the spotlight. I get everything everyone's saying. And I, I don't see why we can't have like one big Limited tournament per year. Like, I understand that not everybody would be into that. I do agree for, like, the players' championships. Yeah, make those, make those bastards draft. Like, get in there. But, like, for, for regular Pro Tours, yeah, you need to sell the decks, you need to sell the cards, and y'all are right. Like, the part of the narrative, like, maybe they could do a better job focusing the narrative on the players, but they're not selling players, they're selling cards. But maybe give me, like, maybe give me one big limited tournament a year I can get excited about. I think the one time someone mentioned, or one of us mentioned on, on PT, they were building up the limited master, but they didn't even feature the limited master draft or, or play the, his matches. And it's like, what's the point then? Like you're building, you're finally building up this character and that you need. And it's like, well, okay, let's, when we're hype, who, like, how does this limited master guy draft? Is he wacky? Is that why he's crushing everyone? It's like, nope, let's, let's feature someone else. And I, I guess you guys know, any, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the guy, they showed his stats at the Pro Tour draft, and he had, like, a 78% win rate over, like, a bunch of Pro Tours. And, like, you got to watch his draft and then see none of his matches. <laughs> That's all I wanted to see was this guy. They, like, hyped him up. They got me excited to watch this guy masterfully outplay his opponents in, in draft. And that's a really fun part of watching draft is, like, the leveraging skill level. It's actually incredible, the best part about watching draft. And uh, we just got to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, just why would Watsy care about the secondary market and selling, you know, I don't know, a card like Nexus of Fate? Like, they need you to, to buy packs, right? And drafters buy more packs than anybody else. So, like, I, I think promotion could be done there, too. But, say la vie. So, so something I wonder on that point is, so you say, like, drafters buy the packs, obviously, to draft. But do you think stores open more product at when a set comes out than they ever sell drafting? Like, I'm sure Face and, like, Star City Games crack case after case after case. And I, I feel like that's got to be, like, in the range or if not more than they would ever sell drafting. And that's all because of the secondary market and constructed. I don't know, man. I do a lot of drafts. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. <laughs> no, that's a good point, Andy. Well, there's definitely a lot of cases and boxes that were sold uh, initially. So, good point on that front. Uh, Travis, let's jump to you. Um, man, I mean, I think rewinding, let's go back to your last appearance or, or before that. And you're, you're talking about how, how to make streaming your full time thing. 
and you don't you, you gave yourself a deadline i think that was before, that was your last appearance uh, you might be wrong you didn't know if you were going to hit hit the goal you you would in, in december you ended up hitting it before december and now you're still streaming so things are steadying for you my friend they're steadying and they've increased um i was streaming arena during the pro tour and I had people come in and, and be like, I, I took a break from watching the Pro Tour since they're between rounds and I wanted to check out some limited. And half of the chat said, what's the Pro Tour? Like, no joke. Like, there's a lot of people playing Magic on Arena who are, just have no connection to the paper cards at all, which I, I think for a game that hasn't even gone out of, you know, closed beta yet is phenomenal. And so you're saying, I think you mentioned it on stream too, that you... Am I right if you're to say that MTG Arena has single-handedly boosted your, your viewership? Oh, yeah. It's uh, tripled it. Like, I'm the only guy or gal or person, I guess, that's, that's doing limited on Arena. Um, you need about a 70% win rate in their quick draft format to be able to, to kind of chain them. And I can do that. And it doesn't seem like a, a lot of other people can or have the interest in doing so. My problem is I just never liked Constructed. So, like, even if I was terrible and spewing money at it, I'd still be drafting somewhere. Like, I'd, I don't want to play Constructed, but I can draft all day. And it's great. And I get to go draft old formats. we got to do Hour of Devastation for a week. So what has happened since I haven't logged on, on MTGO in a while? What has happened to the player base there? Are, like, the player base completely divided when it comes to M19 drafting? Um, I don't know. I haven't logged on to it in a long time either. Um, but I, w- I, that, that's actually not true. I logged in some when M19 came out and played it. But I, I think that the people that are interested in Arena are not necessarily the same people that are interested in Magic Online right now. If, if you're a big modern player, commander player, current draft format player, you're not really interested in Arena. What's interesting is I was concerned because the, the quick draft format in Arena changes week to week. And last week it was M19. And I was a little concerned because it's back to Dominaria this week. I was like, I wonder if my viewership's going to want to watch me draft that. That's really old. And they were excited about it. They don't care what the, the current format is. They care about what they're drafting right now on Arena. And the fact that like, I know the pick orders and what you're supposed to take in Dominaria, they were all really excited about it. But these are not people who are going to play on Magic Online. Like I've always said that I feel like Magic Online is for the paper player who's like, I really want more of this, I want it more competitively, and I want to be able to play in my underwear. If, if that's where you're at, Magic Online is wonderful for you. But if you're just like, hey, I kind of like Magic and I want to I play some, Arena is probably a better direction. What's interesting is there were throwback drafts on MTGO, right? And, mm-hmm. and you had played them. You're, you're saying that, when, did, did you stream those when, when they had them? And, and maybe you notice a difference in, in how people are receiving these throwbacks? Oh, yeah. Well, like part of why they're doing it in Arena is people need to build their collections, right? So there's no real way for you to get M and Ket cards unless they do M and Ket drafts and you can win the packs and that sort of thing. Um, So like this is a little different than the flashback drafts they had on uh, Magic Online in the past. This is basically everything that's in standard. They're just kind of cycling through those draft formats. So we are getting ones from, you know, two years ago which is really neat because I drafted it and I know what it's about. And half of the people watching have no idea how that format works. So they're all kind of jumping in to learn how to do that. I, I, I had seen like a conversation between you and my friend, Spencer Howland and about how 
Magic Arena might be the, the, the future of tournament magic. And I think you said I 100% agreed or something like that. Am I right? Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? <laughs> because of how easy this is to get into. So, like, if, if you look at Hearthstone and how it's grown, and I know there's a lot of comparisons between Hearthstone and Arena, but Blizzard does a really good job at making video games. One thing that I, always kept me out of Hearthstone was I couldn't figure out how to get in any of the tournaments. And I wanted to play in tournaments. I couldn't find them in there. And I eventually got sick of it and went back to Magic Online. That's one thing WotC does best. Like, say what you will about Magic Online's interface. If you want to play at a tournament in, at midnight, you can go find one. So. I don't think that this is going to replace paper magic and I don't think that it's going to immediately eclipse it, but I think that eventually it has the, the power to do that because if, if I want to play paper magic, you kind of got to know somebody like you need one of your buddies to be like, Hey, check out this cool dragon or go into a game store to buy a D and D book and see a tournament happening. Like the exposure to get into it, there's kind of a high barrier for entry. And if you go to that store and try to get in and play there and there's some jerk at the local game store, Maybe you're like, screw it, I don't want to play. Whereas like none of that's here for Arena. It's like, and the tutorial's actually great. I'm, my wife happens to be an excellent Magic player. Uh, she beat me at a PPTQ, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, she played through the tutorial as somebody that hadn't played Magic seriously in two years. And it was great. Like I watched her do it, it explained how to do it. It's, it's a great way to get into this game. So I just think we've got a, a more massive audience. Add on to that Watsi's propensity to design really, really good tournament interfaces. And I think we'll be having arena tournaments that are bigger than anything we have in Paper Magic or on Magic Online. It'll be down the road, but yeah, I think that's definitely coming. I wonder, I wonder though, Andy, like, like, does that, do paper stores like, like Face Face Games, Channel Fireball, Cersei Games, do they care about this? Like, I don't think they're going to lose anything over over Arena. And if they are, they are it's not going to happen for a long time, and it's not going to happen all at once. So this is something that they can do that they can control, right? They could try to mitigate that by having better tournaments. or like It gives them some competition, and Watsi enters the game of competition, so that's kind of good for them as well. So ho- hopefully it goes well. I don't see any stores really losing much out of it. <laughs> I think Travis might see this as like, a good funnel maybe for some like players get to arena and they're like, Oh, let's check out my local LGS. Maybe it, it works both ways. But the, the interesting part about this is magic online was never that duels was only that arena is that and something else. Like you can play it for what it is and, and enjoy that, or you can go to the, the paper game store. And I think there's certain people who are looking for different things. I was never really interested in the social aspect of magic. <laughs> There was just somebody across the table that I had to beat to get to the next stage. Whereas there's other people who are like, this is how I want to meet my friends. And like, that's cool, but that wasn't for me. So for all the me's out there, if you just want to, you know, sit down and crush drafts all day, you can do that. You don't have to leave the house. <laughs> I'm hurt. I mean, we, become, we became such good friends. What, what the hell? We did, and we met through the game of Magic, but we didn't meet by playing against each other. We met online. Like, you're in Montreal, I'm in, you know, the United States, and yet we've still come together through digital magic. How cool is that? That's also how you met your wife, right? It is. 
Uh, Andy, what were you going to say before I, I cut you, I think? I have no clue. <laughs> just just um, being honest. Like, like, I think maybe you wanted to elaborate if, if, uh, they, if they should be a threat to paper magic stores. Oh, I think I was just going to mention that. Uh, so I, I never go to a local store because of magic online. And so maybe Arena could eventually do that as well. Like, I honestly, I've played like maybe 10 local events in like a year and a half. And I play Magic Online every day. So maybe, maybe if like Arena starts taking some of the more casual people away, then maybe there'll be some more competition, more incentive. They'll start having to incentivize people to come out and maybe they could eventually get even people like me to crawl out of my, uh, my place to go to some local game store. You know, they've already tested that with promo codes in boosters for arena in New Zealand. And like, if the promo codes get interesting enough, maybe I get a cool card back, you know, who, who knows what it could be. They might could get me to go to a pre-release again. Hmm. The whole promo code thing. Like what if they give you just like, if you go to pre-release, you get like a, what, what a one mythic of whatever you want, right? Like maybe you'd go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be enough. Hmm. I think. I think. Also, the argument is like, do how many of Andy type players like that they lose to Magic Online do they care about? Like, what part of the pie? What's the percentage of of competitive players? And we keep hearing that it's really small compared to to the casual market. So, how many competitive players are are they going to F and M? Like. That feels like Michael Jordan going to the Y and just dunking on some noobs. Like, why would he bother? I don't know, he wants to feel like a winner. I guess. Um, Andy, you look like you wanted to jump in. No? Uh, I was going to say, Watsy doesn't care about people like me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really gaining them that much money. I'm spending a ludicrous amount to go to Grand Prix, but they I guess they only really see the entry fee if that, right? So that's about it. I don't really give them a lot of my money. I spend a lot of money to play Magic, but it doesn't really go to Watsy. It goes to like gas gasoline, hotels, and uh everyone else except Watsy. Alright. Uh there's another interesting question uh from Twitter. Again involves uh I saw it because Spencer retweeted someone called Master Flex Zero One. I think it relates to all three of us, actually. He goes, should I try and pour everything I have into content creation? Is it worth the time to try and make videos for YouTube stream and write short articles on what I think about the decks I play? Uh, Spencer uh, replies, it's a tough question. Only you can answer people. Uh, constructive criticism is a full-time job for me that makes basically no money, but I love it. And uh, Chewy, who I related to, because he, he said, don't do that. Uh, no, no, he said, as someone who's been doing this full time for a couple of years now, I can't recommend it unless you can monetarily afford it. I've only recently gotten to the point I'm not terrified of rent every month, just every third month. So Chewy is someone that podcasted uh, the mana pool for a long time and also jumped on board as, I believe, the website manager and and all around manager of, of MTG cast. And uh, I know that he's tweeted on and off about uh, struggling uh, with making ends meet sometimes. So I can relate to that. And then 
Spencer mentioned that. Well, he meant that his podcast was a full-time job, but he also has a real full-time job. So he, so he feels like he has two full jobs, one that can support everything that he does. And so he's able to pour his heart out in, in this other thing. Uh, so, man, I mean, we, we just sort of talked about it in your situation, Travis, when, when someone's asking if they should put their, their heart into it. Um, what, what does your gut say? Do it for fun and see what happens. Like, what's the worst, what's the worst case that can happen there? Produce a couple of things, see what sort of feedback you got. Like, that's kind of where I started was recording some draft videos in the forums on draft magic. Cause I was like, I'm really bad at drafting. I need somebody to watch this and tell me where I'm screwing up. I, I didn't expect it would be Frankel that would watch it and eventually lead to a friendship between you and I and, you know, content creation as a career now. But like I, I did that to, to kind of toss that out there and see what would happen. And it developed from there. This wasn't something that I decided to do, you know, yesterday or just a year ago. This was something that kind of built itself up. So if anybody's saying, should I try content creation? Yeah, try it. Should you having absolutely no following anywhere, quit your job right now and make this your full time career? That'd be really stupid. Um, maybe if you've just run a pro tour, you could launch right off of that into something. Um, but like with, with no following, no, you shouldn't, you know, jump right off, but do a couple, whatever it is you're going to do, write an article, right? You can, you know, publish it on Twitter if that's what you want to do. Like KYT will publish anything. You can send it to him. <laughs> uh, great, great advice, Travis, for someone that's currently doing it. And, and I think you, you had built a following when you, when you had a real job as a salesman, if I'm correct. And so that allowed you to have that you know, initial base. And I think that for me, why I relate to Chewy and why it's, um, if someone was in my position, I guess if I can go back, I wouldn't be so intense about it. I would also think about um, that I would grow up at one point and have responsibility like you, you your wife, me, I'm married now, uh, family, stuff like that uh, would come into play uh, that didn't come into my 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 brain, my psyche, or or anything when I was in high school or, or in college, university, still messing around with Madden deprived on the side and having all this free time to go on six hour, well twelve hours total, six hour there, six hour back, PTQs. Now I don't have that luxury, and um, the difference is back then. So I didn't because my costs were low. Um, and I was just focusing on school, I could, I could justify spending a lot of time on and, and not getting any money back for, for all those stuff that I did. And the thing that I wish someone had told me or, or I did differently was that I had some sort of, not like a business plan as in to make a lot of money, but just a way to make it sustainable that I wasn't just you know, throwing I was doing really silly stuff like like buying the domain name or subscribing to different services to host my videos uh, per month uh, outside of YouTube. And so I was doing, pouring all this money because I had this, um, this what I thought at the time was dispensable uh, income, disposable income. And I just poured it into building my brand, building my site. But at the end of the day, I didn't think about like, how was I going to, to make money long-term? I was just trying to build and have all these people know my brand, know who I am. That made me feel good. But it didn't, at the end of the day, it was like, you, you still need 
an equation and, and starting a, a blog site, a, a strategy content-based site um, was not a good strategy because you need all these sponsors. And then at some point, if these sponsors are giving you a lot of money, they should have started their content site a long time ago, right? So I was not in the right, like for me to be in the right thing, I would have had to start my own card store or something. Like there had to be a business component uh, for it to, to be able to support itself. And, and I think that's the key thing uh, that I want people that are starting out, they're listening to me that, that want to jump into it. It's not that it's important to, to make a lot of money, but it has to be, you'll eventually find out that, that it has to be worth your while. And now I, I look back, it's like, you know, sure, I, I just spent years and years and years and years of Madden Prime, but I also bled a lot of, of sweat, blood, money into it. And without any plan at all. And I think that that is a deep regret. Luckily enough, like people love me enough that my brand had value, face-to-face games valued what I did and everything I did in the past. So, so that helped, but maybe what if it, that didn't happen? What if there was no face-to-face games.com? So it's like, yeah, so that's start. Like I'm with Travis, just, just feel it out for fun. But like, if you're going to get to the serious territory, then you have to ask yourself that the serious uh, money questions, and, and I don't know if you have anything uh, to say to that, Travis, to my long rant that I, I just hope people don't make, like, do it better than I did. I, I'll back you up there, because as soon as I was like, okay, I'm going to do this full time, I sat down and mathed out, how many subscribers do I need? How many hours do I need to stream? What do I need to promote the stream? And I began religiously doing all of those things. And then after it didn't work the first year, I was like, okay, how can I make it happen the second year? And we managed to pull it off. Um, so, like, you go, you gonna have some nights where, you know, maybe it's peanut butter sandwich instead of a steak. Um, but if you're doing what you love, like, I, 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 I would choose that. I could make a lot more money in sales than I can in magic content creation. Like, no questions asked could probably quadruple the income that I have tomorrow if that was my decision. But I would way rather do this. Like, this is just happier for me. So if you're going to do it, like try it for fun, make sure you actually enjoy doing it because like quitting your good job to do this and then finding out you don't like it and you're just getting paid less is is really bad. But if you actually like it, then sit down and make your plan, follow the plan and make sure that you're hitting those milestones because other, otherwise you don't really have a job. You're just kind of subsidizing a hobby. I'll let you jump in, Annie. Like you almost ju- wanted to jump in the in the Twitch waters, or you're still streaming, but not not full time. Yeah, so I think I think so. You have to gauge on how much you want to put into it, and understand that it's a lot more work than it looks like all the time. And if you think you you're like, okay, I understand how much work it is. It's actually more work. And <laughs> what you have to do is you have to make like you have to like make yourself a business plan. You can't just do it and hope it works out because then you're not going to get the results you want. And that could leave you feeling, uh, feeling bad about what you're doing. Like, Oh, I'm not getting enough viewers. I'm not doing this. You have to understand what gets those things and then do the right things to make sure you get that kind of stuff. And I streamed, I streamed like every day for like four weeks or something or like three weeks. And it was a lot of fun. And I could see that the, the viewer base was uh, building and stuff, but I honestly, I, it's so hard to do with, uh, with school and with, with a job. And I, I honestly don't think I could do it. Like I could do it for fun, but uh, at the at this time, like working full time or in school full time, I'm not sure that I'm capable of devoting all my time without like losing my sanity. 
And so I understand that. Like, look, a good example is look at pros like uh, Brad Nelson and Owen remind me of good examples is those guys could have like a stream better than I could probably ever reasonably have in an instant. And they choose not to do it. And that's because it's an absolute ludicrous amount of work for how much you get paid for so long, for so long until like you finally get made. And then eventually you finally get the dividends, but can you survive? And just like a business plan, you have to expect to lose money for so long before you start making money. So I think you have to view it like that and you have to be set up financially and mentally in the same kind of attitude. Can confirm. Testament to you, Travis. Yeah, I'm awesome, but uh, he, he's right. And I've still got a long way to go. I've still got a long way to go. I'm not exactly where I want to be, but I'm like, when people ask me what I do now, I'm not embarrassed to say it. And that's step one. That, <laughs> um, the, the one, one thing that's related to this, I, I think to the whole, whether entrepreneur starting your own business type thing uh, is what we're seeing online is a lot of people that are starting to, to front that they're pretending to be something that they're not. Um, I just want to, Travis, if, if you had that experience, so one example was before I, I started Mad at the Prime, I had a, a friend of mine, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say he's a friend because he ended up um, borrowing cards. He was the type that borrowed cards, a lot of expensive cards, and disappeared for a year, probably sold them off and, and just like, came back and gave back the cards and they probably weren't the same ones, but he's done a lot of sketchy stuff. But I still remember before I started Man of the Pride and had Patrick Chapin on my show um, multiple times, whether it be the A-Team or Crazy Talk, this guy would tell me that he would, you know, talk, he, he had access to Chapin, that he, he would talk to him or chat with him or email him. And uh, really, I think what he was just saying, like, like he talked as if he was a personal friend that he could just call up. And what that really was was probably just like random emails or just random messages that Chip finally decided to answer. And, and then later on, uh, he stopped doing that once Chapin came on my show. Like he stopped like bragging that he knew all these pros. And, and at that point, it's like he didn't know anybody <laughs> as I found out. And I think that's the same thing for, for a lot of things. Um, I still remember uh, a good friend of mine would... Uh, yeah, also lie about a lot of things like that to, to boast about their credibility and stuff. And I don't know if you, you encountered that um, in your space, actually. Probably not. Well, to an extent, I mean, there's always going to be people hiding behind the anonymity of the Internet. Like for me, when I decided to stream, I decided I'm not going to put the show is going to be genuine. It's going to be me and it's going to be me doing what I do. I'm not going to play a character. I'm, I'm going to play the game. And I set some ground rules in the beginning. Like mine is one of the few Twitch chats that's family friendly. Like if you come in my Twitch chat and you curse, you will get banned. Uh, no takesies, backsies. I don't curse on the stream. I, as you know, I do curse in person. But I'm like, if I'm going to play a children's card game, it probably needs to be family friendly. Um, other than that, there's no conditions or constraints that I put on myself. Now, there are some streamers that I watch that are absolutely putting on a show. There was this dude for a while that was really entertaining that like his whole shtick was aliens had invaded. And if he didn't beat every Nintendo game, they were going to destroy the earth. Like that guy's obviously playing a character and putting on a show. 
So like when it comes to content creation, you can do that kind of however you want. My route was to be genuine because I felt like if I'm actually like what I didn't like about sales was I basically had to pretend I was someone I wasn't, which was somebody who gave a crap about whether you buy this thing or not. Uh, Whereas now I just get to be me. We can be open. We can be honest. And I've made a lot of friends through that. Are you just answering something quickly in chat? Um, I think what I wanted to say is like eventually that was just a quick example I wanted to get off my chest. But at this point, there's a lot of people um, fronting expertise and then using that oh. to sell stuff. Like, I'm oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> now I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay. Well, let me say my example and, and maybe you have one too. But uh, it, it hasn't come up recently, but over the last 10 years, you've seen someone like, oh, top eight at one pro tour, here's 10 tips to get my free ebook and then buy my course or, you know, come train with me for an hour at, at like 80 to $100 an hour, something like that, when the person clearly is not qualified, stuff like that. Uh, we have seen on and off again, it's getting more popular because we're seeing a lot of these internet boasters like entrepreneurs like Ty Lopez and stuff like that doing that and so people are really inspired by that and then they they poured over that model into whatever they're doing whether it's magic whatever their hobby is and and trying to make a quick buck and I'm seeing it a lot and honestly uh, some people that have been acquaintances or or sort of friends have fallen under that trap and are doing that in their specific field and it's like uh yeah, I just well, it's. I feel it's very scammy. You're just you're just overcharging. You you have actual no expertise whatsoever. Uh, people like just talking about them being able to trade stocks and then selling a course like that they have no business selling. So uh, I just hope people who are content creating stick true to themselves and are authentic with their audience and, and don't try to just convert a quick buck. Where I come from, we call them snake oil salesmen. Like you, you bump into them, the traveling salesperson that would come through the town and offer the magic elixir that solves everything. And I, I, I see that people who are boastful and, you know, proclaim loudly that they know what they're talking about and just don't. Um, you should see some of the offers that I get in my email as a, a streamer about the new games that are coming out and how great it's going to be for my stream and, and all of these sort of things. And, you know, this service that I can <laughs> sign up for that will boost my views. And I'm like... Good Lord, no, I ain't interested in that. And then just from a magic perspective, somebody will come in and and start arguing with me over a pick. And I I understand that's another reason why sometimes limited can be difficult to watch is like you'll see somebody pick a card and you don't understand why. Like there are people that will come in there and, and, and basically say, I'm excellent at draft and I know this is the right pick. And I'll say, okay, what qualifications are we basing this off of? Like I, I've been tracking Dominaria this week. I'm at 70%. Are you better than seven? Like, give me some reason to believe you. And they're like, well, I want a game at F&M with that card <laughs> is finally what we come down to. And I'm like, no, like, let, let's get the roles straight. I, I can help you. you know? so I'm like, yeah, I, I see a lot of that, particularly in my inbox is where I see most of it. I don't know if those are... Uh... Some of them are actually not bots. Like some of them are, I've got emails to boost um, whatever it is. And uh, when I say I'm not interested, just curious to see what they respond. They, they actually respond as like an actual human trying to convince me. Yeah. They're really good bots. Others. 
Oh, or they're really good bots. But then there's yeah. just some that, that just reply with the same automated message. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that a lot. Not as prominent now. And uh, I certainly don't feel like uh, firing shots. Uh, there's, there's a few that, that come to mind publicly. So, but uh, <laughs> I frown upon a lot of things. Um, all righty. I think we're, we're getting ready to wrap the show. A- any any last thoughts about content creation and all that jazz or, or anything that you want to talk about before we call it a show? Um, I think content creation is, is a lot of fun and you can put as much effort into it as you feel like you'll gain value from it. Like that'll make you happier. And uh, I think it's, if you're interested, you should certainly try it. It like doesn't really cost anything to try it for the most part. And uh, especially if you can get some good feedback. And I think it's important to give new content creators feedback just so that they know what to do right, what to do better, what to do different, or maybe uh, maybe they don't care, like maybe I'm not their target audience, but just any more information that they can take in as a new content creator is good. And to just listen to all the feedback, even if it's like, you suck, you have to understand, okay, this person thinks I suck. Why do they think I suck? Like, what about me is making them feel that way? And then you can think about it. That's That's about it. You've inspired me to, to say one last thing, which is uh, when it comes to feedback, I think a lot of people don't listen to feedback. You don't have to listen to all feedback and feel depressed and sad that people hate you. I have a balanced approach. I've, I've seen people have, whether it's a draft uh, channel um, or a, any other type of vlog, um, I've seen people put like 5,000 videos and they all have less than 100 views. And then it's at some point you have to realize like persistence is important. It's one thing, and you should be persistent at the beginning, even if you have no viewers. But at some point, you've got to figure. Maybe it's your approach. Maybe you're not doing something right. And I once pointed out to a YouTuber. I mean, like I'm like your thumbnails. They suck uh, right now. People are gaming their thumbnails. You need your thumbnails to be a plus because they show up on the sidebar on YouTube. What are people going to randomly click when they see you versus a bunch of people? They're not going to click on your crappy thumbnail. And uh, I told this person this like over a year ago, they still have the same style thumbnails. They still have less than 50 views per video. So don't be that person, please. Please don't be that person. Listen to feedback. And actually, you don't even need to listen to feedback. Look at the stats. Just look at what the stats are telling you. No one's watching you. Okay. So, and (laughs) slash and rant. (laughs) Travis, any, any last words, any plugs you want to do? Uh, come watch my stream. It's at twitch.tv slash Simulin. You, you should do that. And then onto what KYT is saying there, like get feedback from people who are successful in what you're wanting to do. You would be surprised if you reach out who's willing to talk to you. Not everybody will be, but if there's somebody that's already doing what you want to be doing, reach out to them and have a conversation with them about it. I've had a few people who are starting streaming, shoot me an email and ask for some tips. And I'm very happy to do that and engage with them. Also be a little careful about survivorship bias as you get into content creation. Like just because someone did something and was successful does not mean that that is the recipe to being successful. Like they can accidentally get Twitch famous, but not have done it right. Right. So like, much like I say, people will come in and say, you know, they're talking about limited. I'm like, don't only listen to anybody, including me, right? Like take my opinion, then take the opinion of the pro who you're talking about in chat 
then add in, go listen to Limited Resources, listen to Men From Moto, listen to Lords of Limited, listen to everybody that plays Limited, and then build your picture. So like, if, if you want to be, you know, Simulan, certainly ask my advice, but get the advice from some other streamers as well, and then kind of lump all that together and get a picture. Oh, again, man, you just ignite something I want to say all the time, you guys. Um, it's like all these videos of people analyzing the habits of billionaires and that's all they've been doing and they are not anywhere close to getting rich because they're just studying people that are billionaires that have certain traits and it's might not apply to your field it might not they might have gotten rich because they were lucky in the right spot at the right time so you know, yeah there's a lot in you know on youtube a lot of those thumbnails with those big dollar signs with those um, <laughs> and the word billionaire and Lamborghinis and, and dressing rich and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you hit it, you hit that nail, man. Uh, survivor bias is a real thing that uh, people fall. A lot of people fall for that trap. All right. So I'm going to shout out people from the first strike nation. Derek Pike, J. Thomas Ian, Jonathan Good, Matthew Kelly, Sash Pablo. Thank you for supporting. Thank you, everyone in First Strike Nation. Supporting, you can join patreon.com slash first strike. Just posted a deck head from Andy himself about the specific card choices he decided to choose for his five color human stack. And uh, yeah, I think that's what we'll do for this episode. And we'll talk to you guys in the next one. This was a good one, guys. Thanks. Hit subscribe, like, because this is the new channel that the show will be on. Bye, guys. Adios.